This is Temple in Heilprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome into Temple and Heilprin. I'm Zach Heilprin. That is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. We are at Monks in Sun Prairie, as we are every Thursday. Love it out here at Monks. I stayed around last week, Jesse. I know you had to run out, after, but you had some good food uh, before the show. I stayed around, watched some football, maybe had a beer or two or three or four. I don't, I don't know how many I had. You forgot but, uh, after about four or five. You I, must have. But I, I, love, I love being here. The TVs, the football, the food, the drinks. It's an amazing place to come. It's an amazing place to come for, foot, uh, for football Saturdays. If you're not able to get down to the game, you can also come out here and uh, watch on all their TVs, both Packers and Badgers. Wisconsin getting ready to host Iowa. If you, like on, on Saturday, the weather's not supposed to be great. If you don't want to go downtown, you come here in some prairie. I think it would not be a bad idea at all. I know that, and lots of TVs and good food. Yes. You can't beat it. Yeah. So Wisconsin hosting Iowa on Saturday. It's going to be a, it's going to be a tough. I think it's going to be a tough game for Wisconsin. We'll get into all that coming up here, maybe in uh, segment two and segment three, and preview the game. Look ahead to Saturday afternoon as Deacon Hill makes his return, his triumphant return? Question mark, Jesse. I have to save that for the end of the show, Zach. We can't give it all away up front. No, we won't. Uh, the other quarterback on, in this matchup, Tanner Mordecai. The transfer from SMU has led Wisconsin to a 4-1 record. I think we talked about it during the camp on Wednesday, but I think it brings. A, I think it needs to be talked about a little bit more just in where we think and how we think he has played to this point. ESPN did their ranking of the 40, I think it was like 46 or 47 transfer quarterbacks. That just speaks to the transfer portal and how many guys are moving around. And they gave a grade to each one. And obviously, like a shooter, Sanders, he's at the top. He's, he's, he was in the A tier. Uh, Graham Mertz, former Badger, B-plus tier. And then there was Tanner Mordecai. He was in the B-minus tier. I'm wondering if you think that is a fair grade for what you've seen from Tanner Mordecai to this point. It feels pretty fair to me. Maybe it's slightly hand. It's hard not to come back to the passing numbers and see that he's got from three interceptions in five games. To me, I think a B-minus is fair because it's relative to what can be in this offense. I think he's got so much more to give. Having said that, the stats don't tell the whole story, which is what we addressed earlier this week on the camp and something I wrote about earlier in the week on The Athletic as well. He is a fantastic decision maker in my mind other than a handful of poor throws and if you throw the ball as much as they are in this air raid offense even if it's a different variation of the air raid you're going to have a mistake or two you're going to have an interception but he generally makes smart reads and the decision of the ability for him to when a play breaks down turn what should be an eight yard loss for a sack into a gain it's exceptional. I mentioned this before. He's the best running quarterback Wisconsin has had since Tanner McAvoy. He's the best combination of runner and passer since Russell Wilson in 2011. And his value to this team is as high as anybody, obviously. So I can understand the B-minus grade, but I also think he's got a lot more to give. Yeah, I, I think the grade has a lot to do with this passing statistics. 100%. Right? You come here after throwing for 72 touchdowns the last two years at SMU, and you have three through five games. The three interceptions to go along with it. But I think I think it's also notable that after the first two games, the turnovers really have not been there for him, right? He had the two and two interceptions in the first game. He hits that whether you want to put that on, on him or not in the second game, that's it. That's that's one great play at Purdue where 
the ball was ripped out of Chimray DK's hands for the fumble. Uh, he's taking really good care of the ball. And I think that also kind of plays into why his numbers are the way they are, too. He's not taking a ton of chances with that ball. And, and I know Luke Fickle talked about it this week. They are not throwing maybe the ball down the field as, as much as they had in the past. And a lot of that, it's not because they're not running those routes. It's because he is deciding not to throw it down the field. And I, I don't know if that's going to necessarily change. What, is, needs to, what does need to change and we'll get into, I think, explosive plays. I mean, you look at in some of our uh, over-unders here in the second segment. They haven't been an explosive offense, but they've had their opportunities, and guys have not made plays for him. And I'm thinking about three exact ones from this past game. You think about the throw to Skyler Bell that goes off his face mask down the field. Now, was that underthrown? Perhaps. But into the wind, not exactly an easy throw to make. And Skyler Bell, that's the third time that... He's had an opportunity to make a big play downfield. Hasn't been able to do it this year. And then you have the one to Bryson Green on the sideline where he goes up and it looks... And those are, these are all tough catches, right? They're not easy catches. But it's right on the sideline and he's unable to hold on to it as he goes to the tight end, Tucker Ashcraft, later in the game where he was he went up and came down and wasn't able to hold on to it either. Again, I don't think those last two are plays that are going to be more than 20 yards, but those are the type of plays that you need guys to make for you to help your stats and make you look a little bit better than maybe you ha- than maybe the stats do right now. Well, yeah, you go back to that opener and remember talking about it, but you see that he had 189 yards against Buffalo. If there's a 60-yard touchdown catch that Skylar Bell makes when it was dropped right in the bread basket, it's a totally different conversation. He has 249 yards passing. Which would have been the most in a debut by a Wisconsin quarterback, right? I, I, I think, think it was, so. it was, it was right pretty, up there. Pretty close. Um, yeah, it was right up there. And, and so you're having an entirely different conversation. It's been a combination of different things, I think. And, and I know that we've both gotten questions about whether wide receivers are gaining separation. And I think that's a catch-all question. It's not one answer. It's a different matchup every game. We're talking about different receivers. There are times where there's just enough separation and the ball is placed slightly off target. And then other situations where a guy's got to win a ball and he doesn't. Yep. And Tanner's putting it in the right spot. So... The question is, can they put those together and be the team that people believe they can? I think they can, but now this is the hardest stretch that they're going to have, and the defenses are going to challenge them. Well, and I want to get into that, that three-game stretch, but just put a, finish up this discussion yeah. on, on Tanner Mordecai. What does, he, what does his grade have to be the rest of the year? You know what's funny? I, I feel like B-. B minus. <laughs> Honest to God, you think I feel can, like you B think, minus is okay. Probably B, though. You like, think he can play the way that he's played these first five games and they're going to win enough to win the Big Ten West? I think he's got to be a little bit better than what he has been but doesn't have to be an A quarterback. And I say that because let's just be real and call it like it is. This is the worst, one of the worst years for the Big Ten West in the decade that it has existed. And I went back and looked at some of the records, and there's maybe one or two other years where there are some really bad teams. But The legendary Big Ten West? Yeah, RIP after this season. Unfortunate, I suppose, if you're a Badgers fan because you can't just cakewalk in in a lot of years. But... It's just not a good division, and if Wisconsin is able to beat Iowa, then the Badgers are sitting there at 3-0 and in Big Ten play. Every other team in the division already will have two losses, and a lot of them are going to have three. So I don't think he has to be great, but if you want to get where you want to go at the end of the season and compete for championships in the Big Ten championship, he's going to have to play a heck of a lot better. Yeah, and it's, he's not on his – he needs other people to step up as well. Yes. It's not just him that needs to – 
put a ball right where it needs to be or make a decision, a better decision on, you know, when to give it to Braylon and when to take off and run. Like there are, or when to pull it and, and throw it. A whole lot of things that go into that. And I think he's still maybe feeling his way, even though he's played much of his life it, or much of his football career, it's still, it's still a little bit different. It's still a little bit different. So, uh, yep. Yeah, I think B, I think yeah. whatever B looks like. Yeah. And that, that's I, think, I think that works for me. Uh, you mentioned this, this stretch or the increase in, in, in off or uh, better defenses that they're going to be playing. Certainly, Iowa's defense is probably the best that they're going to face so far this year. Uh, Ohio State's defense has been really good. Illinois has not, but again, that I don't think is going to matter. We know that uh, some of the uh, Nebraska's defense has been better. So th- those are all defenses they're going to have to face here in the next stretch. But I want to talk about this three-game stretch because it was the, the key stretch that we all talked about before the season. This is going to decide, at least this is how I thought, this is going to decide whether their season's a successful season or a not-so-successful season. Now, before the year, we thought that Illinois game is probably going to be a little bit bigger than it is. Illinois has kind of fallen back. But these next two games, Iowa, Illinois, and then Ohio State, just a huge, huge stretch. I'm wondering for you, what does that record have to be in these next three for this to be considered a successful stretch? Two and one, at worst. Does it um, matter who those wins are against? Yes. Okay. Well, I think it does. Because yeah. it's good. I think a lot of people believe, rightfully so at this point, that this 10 West championship game, now there is clearly a lot of football to play after this. But like we've said, these are the only two teams that have winning records that are in the West Division at this point. And... If Wisconsin is able to win that, like I said, every other team has two losses, so you put yourself in a position where you can afford a loss. But wouldn't be ideal to lose to Illinois. I think a lot of people, it's that Ohio State game where you kind of say, ah, oh, it's likely a loss, potentially a loss. I know you and I both made our bold picks before the season and picked Wisconsin. We don't we don't back off bold no, predictions. No, I'm not. Um, but I, I, it's two and one because if you go one and two, you're just putting yourself in a spot where you'd, kind of end up like just another team and maybe it's out of your hands to some degree in terms of controlling your path so that's why i say you gotta go i mean especially when you look at the rest of iowa's schedule they've absolutely they've already played their tough cross game and got absolutely hammered by penn state but they don't i mean they're they they get to play minnesota they get to play illinois right they have i believe one more crossover game it's against rutgers against well I mean, I could see. I mean, right, but if of your crossover potential yes. opponents, right, right, they played the Penn State, but you don't have Ohio State. So, all things considered, if I was able to win that game, they have a position because the other four games are Big Ten West teams. I wanted to throw this in here, a little bit of a pre in the next segment, but Iowa's defense, because I know we kind of talked about how Wisconsin's defense slows down Iowa. We did that on the camp this week. So, if you haven't heard about, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. But how does Wisconsin's offense go about attacking Iowa's defense? So I think it's interesting, and I did a beat writer breakdown with my colleague at The Athletic, Scott Docterman, who covers Iowa. It's going to be running Friday, where we I looked at, you know, what has Wisconsin done personnel-wise to this point? And we knew coming into the season they were going to run a ton of 11 personnel. It's something Phil Longo did at North Carolina. They ran it the third most in the country last season. 11 personnel is one running back, one tight end, three, three receivers. Um, they're doing it almost 80% of the time this year compared to 35%. But what I think is really interesting is the run-pass ratio. Like, 
it's pretty darn close to even. Wisconsin's called a design run on 47.3% of its plays. And I think when you think air raid, you think it's going to be this insane Mike Leach 80-20. So I, I really feel like this is going to end up like every other Wisconsin-Iowa game where it comes down to dominating in, in the trenches. And you're going to have to be able to run the ball because I just don't see a lot of big pass plays for Wisconsin against this Iowa defense. One of the things we'll talk about in the next segment because uh, the Iowa defense has been great against uh, explosive plays in the passing game. Wisconsin has not been very good in explosive passing by point. But you're right about the, the rushing. I think it comes down, if Wisconsin can run the ball, they win the game. Go back and look at these eight games since 2015. In the three Wisconsin games, the last, uh, in those games, the ones that they've won, they've run for at least 166, uh, 166 yards every single game. The three games that they lost, 52 yards, which was last year, 56 back in 2020, and 86 in 2015 in what was an absolute slog of a game where both defenses were quite good. It comes down to that. If Wisconsin's able to run the ball and put up 100-plus yards, I think they win this game. And if they don't, it's probably going to be very, very tough for them. Now, obviously, the other, the other side of this is the, the Iowa offense, which is, I'm not, th- this is not hyperbole at all. They are the worst offense statistically in the FBS. They're, they, yards per game, they are the worst in the country. It's brutal. Points per game, they're not that much better. I think they're 107th in the country, according to the, the, the CFB stat site. And I, I probably should go to the NCAA site instead. But they're averaging 21 points per game. I think it's like 21.8. They are not a good offense, especially, especially with Deacon Hill at quarterback, who's been so, so erratic in his, with extended playing time. This team should not score more than 10 points in Wisconsin. Tell me that Iowa is 5-1, and one. honestly. I know they haven't played it's a lot Iowa of heavy them. hitters. Exactly. They, Iowa does what Iowa does. But all the offseason talk about the offense, somehow the offense is worse. And I know that they're sort of at the mercy of the fact that Cade McNamara got hurt, but it's not like they were putting up no. wild points before then. And you're right. They're dead last in the FBS in total offense, 249.2 yards per game. Eastern Michigan is 129, uh, and they're 10 yards ahead of Iowa. Yeah. So that ought to tell you the struggles that they've had. Again. We're saying all these things, and then obviously I was going to have a breakout game against Wisconsin, right? No. 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 But they might get a pick six and a, a kick return, which is how which, Iowa wins. Which, which is almost how they won last year. Yes. I mean, they had the, the pick six, and they had the block punt that set them up deep in Wisconsin's territory, and Wisconsin turned the ball over a couple times, couldn't run it. That's what leads to it. The big difference, though, for, for me, is Tanner Mordecai's legs. And I know we've kind of you, – you wrote about that earlier this week, talked about it on the camp, his ability to extend plays and get out and move around – and take off running is just such a huge weapon that Wisconsin has not had in this rivalry very often. Exactly. Think about it. I don't. The 2014 game when it was Tanner Mordecai or uh, Tanner McAvoy, he wasn't the starting quarterback. Joel Stavi was the starting quarterback and had like a wrong touchdown run in that game. A quarterback with that ability gives you such a better chance when things break down. Graham did not have that, and Tanner does, and it's it's just huge for Wisconsin. It's interesting to talk to some of the Wisconsin defensive guys because they can shed light on what it's like to defend um, Mordecai, but also a mobile quarterback in general. And they talk about how demoralizing it can be if you're a defensive back and you're trying to defend for three, four seconds on the back end and all of a sudden you lose your eye discipline and boom, a guy has kept a play alive that he shouldn't. That's really demoralizing. And so it does change the math. And I think that that has to be one of the things we're going to look at in this game because it's a difference-making quality. Boom.
A little John Madden there from you. <laughs> I appreciate, I like appreciate that on a Thursday night. We're at Monks in Sun Prairie getting ready for some NFL football as uh, the Kansas City Chiefs take on the Denver Broncos. Taylor Swift, we won't talk about her today. We, we will not. Do you know, you look like you're totally flummoxed by the idea that Taylor Swift has been in the news. Oh, I'm well aware, my man. <laughs> okay. Cause is your I wife... grew up a Chiefs fan. Okay. All right. Big Chiefs fan? Not anymore. I'm too old. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe too grizzled as a sports writer. Something changes over the years, but okay. that's for another day. I got you. I got you. Yeah. So that game coming up here in a little bit. Monks, great place to, to watch football, both uh, college and pro. On the other side, going to be two unders for Saturday. You're listening to Temple and Heil Print. This is Print, live from Mox Bar and Grill in Sun Prairie on the Wisconsin Spork. Yes, welcome back into Temple and Heil Print. We are live at Monk's Bar and Grill in Sun Prairie. Getting ready for some NFL football coming up here at 7.15. No. Maybe? I think it's is it 7.20. Irrelevant. No one that's listening to this probably really cares, but they do have football on here all the time. ton of TVs around here to watch football. Some great uh, drink specials as well on the weekdays and on Thursdays. Thursdays, it's... Uh, $5 Long Island iced teas and $4 spotted cows. I am not, I'm, I'm not indulging in that. I'm, I, I did get a Miller Lite because, you know, Wisconsin. But they have so many different things you can choose from. So come on out. Great place to be any day of the week here. Amongst, let's get into some of our over-unders, Jesse. I wanted to, I was going through some stats today. So Wisconsin is averaging 2.2 pass plays of 20 or which is a 12th in the Big Ten. I mean, over. I think they've got 12 of them, five games. So that's, I think that's 2.2, which is tied with Minnesota. Um, oh, I think Iowa has given up eight the entire year. Over under two and a half plays of 20 or more yards through the air for Wisconsin. My initial inclination is to say under, and you're right. I know that Iowa's defense has surrendered six plays was, of 25-plus yards. Oh, okay. Uh, which ranks tied for the seventh yeah, it's, it's, fewest nationally. Yeah, it's, so, eight, it's eight of 20-plus. So it doesn't happen very often. And, again, I, this just feels to me like a game that is going to be quintessential Wisconsin-Iowa, even though the Badgers changed, its, changed their offense. I think it's still a slog in the trenches and a game where Wisconsin's passing offense will throw a lot of shorter passes and try to take its chances. Iowa's defense just – there's a reason why – the Hawkeyes are 5-1, and one, despite having the worst offense in the country. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Cooper DeGene and that secondary. I'm interested to see what they do. Now, last week they had him traveling with Purdue's best wide receiver. But m- most of that was on the outside. I don't know that they're going to throw. I mean, who's Wisconsin's best receiver? Would it be, I mean, obviously Will Pauling has the most catch. Would it be Will Pauling? And are they going to then slot him into the inside? I got, that doesn't. Well, you're saying are you going to put. DeGene inside. Oh. Yeah, uh, I don't know. There plays, but that's a really good question that I hadn't actually thought about to this point. Who is Wisconsin's best wide receiver? I don't know the answer. I think the the one they've gone to the most, as you said, is is Pauling. I think I'd want. But that's the offense. I would want somebody exactly. I would want somebody maybe different, depending on the situation. To be honest, among those starters. 
Well, and I think that is the, the biggest problem with maybe Wisconsin's wide receiver room right now is you don't have the guy. Would you say, I mean, they don't necessarily have the guy that can do absolutely everything. Yeah, obviously you would love to have that. I, I think this offense can thrive without that, but they just need more consistent play from those guys. I'm amazed to see that I mean, Will Pauling has 22 catches. Skyler Bell has 14. Obviously, Braylon has 18. But, like, those guys on the outside, Chimmer has 11 and Bryson has 10. So you're seeing where Wisconsin's bread is buttered, right? Well, we knew that coming in, right? Yes, but but does that mean he's the best receiver? He's just the one who's most utilized. Well, and it, it's also making plays when they need him too. Yeah. I mean, you think about last week some of the, some of the catches that he made on third down to extend drives, going down to the ground, and there was nobody near him, which means he's obviously getting some time, which is depending on who you want to believe is an issue for Wisconsin. Um, I don't know if it would have changed anything, but at this point. You would love to have Keon says Lewis. <laughs> I don't know if he would ever have gotten on the field enough yeah. to be to to make an impact, but Didn't just to keep likely. just to keep fighting, just just keep fighting, man. I get it. Keep I fighting, it. and you have an opportunity to make plays over the top. They do not have a true speed burner on the outside. They what? don't. Jim, I mean, Jeremy will probably say differently, but I don't view him in that respect. Certainly, C.J. Williams is not, and Bryson Green is not in the slot. Will Pauling has. It has some speed, but he's probably not going to beat too many people deep just because that's just not how they're going to use him. Skyler Bell's gotten deep and hasn't been able to make plays when the ball's come his way. Yeah. Enter Keontes Lewis. <laughs> What's interesting to me about this wide receiver group and what we've seen so far is Chimray DK, on average, has been the big play guy. He's averaging 20.7 yards per reception. And I know he's got a 41-yarder, but so does Bryson Green. And Bryson's averaging under 12, and there's really no other wide receiver that's anywhere close in terms of yards per reception. So if you're looking for a big play guy, Chimray has been it so far. I know we've talked ad nauseum in the preseason about Bryson Green and the potential in the 50-50 balls, and I've gotten a lot of questions recently about it. people felt as though we were sort of, where's that been? On the other hand, we can only say what we saw, and we haven't seen as much of that. I would still want him, and you throw a fade ball at the goal line, I would still want to get it. Yeah. So they're going to keep keep at it. Yeah. Uh, in the last eight meetings, the teams have combined average nearly 13 punts per game. I think it's like 12.7. Over under 12.5 punts on Saturday <laughs> combined for the teams. This, I, is, this is a hard. Like of any of overs mm-hmm. that you were possibly going to take this mm-hmm. weekend, this one is like the easiest for me. Because you're absolutely going over. Yes. <laughs> well, it's going to have to be a lot of short three-and-out type possessions, which there could be plenty. I, I, I do wonder how many possessions I was going to – I mean, they're going to try and salt this game away as much as humanly possible, but I think I'll go over. So they had the, – the high of the last eight years is 18. Now it's last year. Each team had nine. Wisconsin had one of them blocked, so I guess it doesn't technically count as a punt, but I'm counting it as a punt. So 18 punts between them. They had 14 the week before they had, or the year before it. They had 17 in 2020. This is an easy over for me. Okay. Easy over. It's for not me. as easy for me, but I largely to me it's because I think Wisconsin's going to put together a handful of scoring drives. and That's cute. I didn't say they were going to be touchdown drives. I said a handful of scoring drives. There may be a few field, but... Field goals taking away a punting opportunity. Field goals in the wind. How long? Thirty. Like how, how far? Are you? Thirty-five okay. yards. All right. All right. So no, no fifty-two yarders from Vacos. Okay. Last one here. 
amazing to me, to be honest, well, because three, of how good he is. Yeah, the, the 300 they had back in 20, I think it was uh, 2019, JT had a big day. But they've also put up 247, 210, 166, 167. I'm going to go under. And it just too. feels like such a big number. And yeah. maybe I maybe I would feel differently if Ches Malusi was healthy. I would still probably be hesitant, and that is no knock against what Jackson Aker did. I thought he was tremendous in the opportunities that he got. But what are we looking at here? Does that mean Braylon gets 150 and, and Aker's got to get 70? Does Braylon have to get 180? Where's Mordecai at this? Oh, yeah, that's fair, too. On the other hand, anytime he takes a sack, it takes away from your rush yardage opportunities. Which, so, which hurt Hudson Card a little bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm in, I, I'm inclined to take the under. I think it'll be a reasonable balance of run pass for Wisconsin. And uh, I mean, look, if they get 180 and 180 or something like that, you got to feel pretty good in a matchup like this. Yeah, I think so too. I think 180 would be a, a really nice number. A little over 200 yards per game. Again, first in the Big Ten. It's not necessarily a. Um, banner year for Big Ten running games. It feels like you know, there's only two teams that are over 200 yards this season in the Big Ten. That feels a little bit abnormal. Abnormal. Um, maybe because Ohio State has not been as good of a run team as they usually are. Michigan maybe not is either, but I think Ohio State's averaging over 300 yards passing per game, yeah. which kind of <laughs> you have to do what you have to do to move the ball, and, and they've been able to do that with Marvin Harrison Jr. and company. Uh, at Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State's first in the Big Ten in passing offense at 302.8, and no one else is over 281, yeah. so that's why the Buckeyes are sitting there at ninth in run offense. Yeah, so I think the I think it's an easy under on the 215 and, and a half, I think is what I went with. We'll come back, we'll talk a little bit more Iowa and Wisconsin, also get into a little basketball as well. You're listening to Temple and Heilprin live from Monk's Barm and Grill. This is Temple in Heilprin's Bar and Grill in Sun Prairie on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back into Temple and Heilprin. Getting ready for Wisconsin and Iowa coming up on Saturday at Camp Randall Stadium. Badgers favored by nine and a half. We're going to pick those games coming up here on the other side of the break. But I wanted to uh, ask this question that I didn't get to in the last segment. A little fill in the blank here. Wisconsin beats Iowa if... (laughs) Is it a real cool move to say they score more points? It'd be a very cool move. Um, I think they've got to run the ball effectively and not turn the ball over. They can't have it because, to me, this is a low-possession, low-scoring type of game. So I went back and, like, I are such a huge part of this, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't turn the ball over, then you're not giving them a sh- their offense a short field because their offense, to me, the only way they score is that they get a short field, which is pretty much the only way they scored last year. I, I, we talked about this on the camp. They ran 45 times for 52 yards. I know Nick Herbig had some sacks in there, so it kind of impacted that that a little bit. They're not going to be able to run. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball a ton against Wisconsin. I know what we saw last week against Rutgers. I, I expect them to play Iowa very similarly. Now it's a little bit 
different offensive scheme that you're being asked to defend. But Wisconsin knows how to defend it. Do you think we're going to see some 3-4 from, from Wisconsin? Wisconsin? I feel like we will. It's been effective for them. Well, they had barely played it. But, yeah, that, that one series against Purdue. Over the years, I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, I, yes, but the turnovers is, is where it stands out. In the last eight matchups, Wisconsin turned over 16 times. I was, this is how close things are. They've turned it over 16 times. I was turned it over 14 times. Now, you go back and look at the games that Wisconsin won. There isn't actually a really good, um, when you go back and look, like, oh, they turned it over this many times, there's no shot of them winning. They've lost the turnover battle uh, plenty of times, and they've still won the game. But I think it does. They're the only way, the only way that Iowa scores can down a short field or they get a defensive score. So, yes. The only way, or Wisconsin, if. Well, I think you just nailed just it. the other way around. They take, they take advantage of some Wisconsin mistakes and put themselves in position to score with a short field because it's just really, it's hard for me to see how Deacon Hill has a ton of success moving the ball through the air. And because it feels as though Iowa is one-dimensional, then you just line up and try to stop the run. And I think that's what Wisconsin's defense is going to try to do. It's gonna be very. I think it's going to be a very similar game plan to what we saw last week against Rutgers. Yes. They had no fear that Gavin Winsett was going to beat them on a regular basis, and he didn't. The only thing that gives me pause is if is Eric Hall yes. and his ability, not just as a as a pass catcher, they use him as a in, like a blocker, a pulling a, a pulling blocker on the in the run. Very good blocker to go along with what he can do in the pass game. The, the one thing that I think would concern me about the passing game is we know that Deacon Hill can take a shot and get it down there. Yes. Like, I know, he, he, look, we've been harping on it for two years, three years since he was a recruit, obviously, <laughs> but if they take that one shot and Wisconsin's not expecting it and he drops it down there, that's the He's had a lot of issues with touch and completion percentage. It's 37.5%. It's just, I know that he's in a really difficult spot, but this is the hardest game of his young career so far. It's just like, who's he throwing to? Exactly. Because last no game. wide receiver caught a pass last week. I think it was the first time in, was it 47 years that there was a, an Iowa played and not, a wide receiver didn't catch a single pass? It's ridiculous. It's not that I don't think they have talent at wide receiver either. Like, they, they brought in... The Ohio State transfer, they have, you know, some some other guys that can make plays, but just to not even be able to get a single ball out to a guy, to not be able to complete a pass. And some of the passes that he threw that were incomplete were nowhere close. Yeah. Nowhere close. 45 years is what it was. They didn't have a catch last week for the first time in 45 years. And that was and that was probably when they first started using wide receivers down at Iowa. Maybe. 45 years ago. You might be right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to, to see how that plays out. This is... As you mentioned earlier, the essentially the Big Ten West Championship game in your mind, yeah, a little bit early, a little bit earlier than normal for the Big Ten West Championship game, but this is the final year of the Big Ten West. What is the what do you think the legacy of the Big Ten West is going to be? Because I think when it was originally put together, and you looked at the East and you looked at the West, it, it it's it kind of boggles the mind right now. It's like happened. How did you allow this to happen? Because legend leaders were supposed to be right down the middle, you know, the uh, the, the yeah, Nebraska and Michigan and uh, Iowa on one side, and you had Ohio State and Penn State and Wisconsin on the other side. And so, like, 
you under like you could you you understood why they did Legends and Leaders, but then you go and look what like what Penn State was and what Michigan was when they broke these these up, and it's like all right, well it kind of makes sense because the West was really successful. The teams in the West were really successful there in a stretch towards the end. 2010, 2011, 2012, Wisconsin goes to the Rose Bowl. Iowa had had a lot of success. Northwestern had been to a Rose Bowl. Like, all those all those things pop up. So it, it, it kind of made sense. But then Michigan got really good again, and Penn State got really good again, and Ohio State took it to a different level. And obviously Michigan State, their success, it turned out not to be a very great decision by Jim Delaney. So what is the, what is the legacy here of the Big Ten West? Well, if you are a Wisconsin fan, and from the Wisconsin perspective, it will be that the Badgers were granted more opportunities than they might otherwise have been granted to compete for championships. Now, Wisconsin had some good teams that made runs, obviously, and were close in the conference championship game, but from every other perspective, the Big Ten and National, it's always going to be that the West was the worst division and that it was a disparity that went Frankly, all you have to do is look at the Big Ten championship games over the last decade. The West has, and the gap to me has never been more. And you're right, Michigan coming in to do with that. Michigan hammered Purdue last year 43-22. The year before, hammered Iowa 42-3. A few years earlier, Ohio State beat Northwestern 45-24. So there have been games where it hasn't even been close. And Wisconsin has played a part in a lot of these. But like. The last five matchups have all been double-digit-plus victories for the Big Ten East. So I think that's how it's always going to be viewed. And and, uh, another piece that my colleague Scott wrote this week is that it's wider than ever now. Last year, the East won the crossover games 13-8, to and so far this year, the East is 6 against the West. So, to me, I I can't look at it any other way. Yeah. Uh, One other other part of conference expansion that's been talked about is contraction. And I know... Like, eventually, at some point, you're going to have all these teams in here, UCLA and Oregon and Washington and USC, and then you're going to have Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State, and they're going to be looking at Northwestern and being like, why are we, why are uh. we sharing money with you? <laughs> why are we sharing money with Minnesota and with some of the other programs that aren't on our level? We're the ones that are bringing in this money. Why are, you, why are we still, you know, sharing that money with you? Because... Your guy, Scott Dockman, was in Minneapolis yeah. for Big Ten media days, for the basketball media days, and he talked to Tony Petiti, and he was asked about contraction. This is what he said. I've never talked about any idea that we would ever even, or we would ever be smaller. It just never gets discussed. The simplest way to put it is, I think the job as commissioner and the job of the staff that we have in the league office is to make sure the Big Ten is, a, is as great tomorrow as is today. The expansions that we've got coming helps that, but we look at it as one league. And that's fine. I think that's fine to say that, but it's completely different when the schools start saying, well, okay, we don't really need the Big Ten. Why would we need the Big Ten? Why when, when you're putting together this super league of, of potential teams eventually down the road? So I don't think it's going to be contraction. I think it's going to be teams leaving the conference and taking, just football-wise, leaving the conference as a football program and playing it, Super League-wise, down the road. like that. I don't see contraction. I see that happening, leaving the conference. This feels well beyond my purview at this point. I, um, yeah, I don't think contraction is, is something I see in the future, but I also wonder how long down the road something like that would happen um, because the money is going to be very good here in, in the future for, for these other teams yeah. coming in. And I realize 
when you've got a, an 18-team league, then it's divided, and people are going to wonder about some of those lessons. But I, I just, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to go beyond what the yeah. team league looks like and give it a, a reasonable duration of time to see how this all plays out. I'm more interested in, you know, what... The, the parity and especially the top half of the league, it's going to be insanely difficult and on par with any league in the country. I, I do think that there's this this Friday games, these Friday games are going to play. They're going to play nine games on Fridays. And we've already seen Ohio State and Michigan and I think Iowa and I think maybe Michigan State. No, I don't Maybe it was Michigan State. There was another there was another team out there that's saying, yeah, we're not going to play on Fridays. OK, <laughs> well. You're taking this money, but you're saying you're not going to play on Fridays. I feel like the pushback against some of the, what the league has done already is saying this is – I don't think this is going to be this – I think this is the start of them pushing back against what the league is doing as opposed to um, it being a one-off here. Yeah, I mean, I, I you're right. I know that I think Ohio State has said they're not interested in hosting games in the future. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Not, not hosting games. Now, do they have any choice to play them on the road? Probably yeah, not. Yeah. But I'm saying hosting games. Just kidding. No, we're not going to do that. Well, <laughs> like what? Okay, that's interesting. You're getting paid a billion dollars. Right. You know, the Big Ten's getting paid a billion dollars, and you're just going to have to sit here and say, yeah, "Ohio State's not hosting, Michigan's not hosting, Iowa's not hosting." You can't do that. You just can't. It's not. It's not fair to the rest of the the league. On the other hand, with clout, Apparently, maybe maybe you make a statement. That's but what I'm saying, though. They have this know. clout ability to do these type of things. I don't know. Either way, um, one more thing before we go to break: Wisconsin basketball picked to finish yep. fifth in the Big Ten by the media. What's your confidence level that happens? And, and maybe more so, last year's successful year was making They didn't do that. What is success this year? It always starts with making the NCAA tournament. On, 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 on the other hand, with as much returning experience as they have and you add A.J. Store, you've got to feel like that's not enough. There are certain years where there is enough there that you have to believe can you be a second weekend team? I, I always start with making the NCAA tournament, and I think if you're in the top five in the Big Ten this year, oh, that's, yeah. that's pretty darn good. The league is always tough. Purdue got 24 of the 28 first-place votes in the preseason media poll. Michigan State got the other four, but you've also got Maryland and Illinois ahead of Wisconsin. So it's going to be a grind as it usually is, but I think this team, in, if they finish in the top five, that's, that's successful. That's, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. All right, coming back on the other side, Going to make our week six picks. Another winning week last week for Jesse. Another losing week for me. That's become commonplace, but uh, we'll see if I can turn it around. Coming up next. Yes, welcome back into Temple and High Alperin. Getting ready for Wisconsin and Iowa coming up on Saturday. We have some picks to make. Six games uh, so far, Jesse. You are up by five games. You're 2013 and three on the year. On 15, 18, and three, you had a three and two, three two and one week. I had a two three and one week. So again, you're not running away from me. Not running away from me yet. Yeah, just hanging around. Yep. So we'll start with the big one out in Washington. It is number eight Oregon traveling to number seven Washington. The Huskies and Michael Penix favored by three. I like Oregon in this one. The Ducks have just been absolutely pounding teams. I know there was one eight-point win against Texas Tech, but other than that, they just destroyed Colorado 42-6, to just beat Stanford 42-6, to so I think Bo Nix and Oregon come in there and get it done. Give me that Washington offense. Give me that Washington offense. They have been fantastic. Kalen DeBoer and company, just remarkable. Remarkable. And Kalen DeBoer was the, I believe, the offensive coordinator at Indiana when 
Michael Penix was tearing it up there, reunited out there, and have been fantastic. Number 10, USC, Midwest, which they'll do quite a bit <laughs> starting next year. Uh, they are at number two, Irish, favored by three. I'm a little surprised by that one, to be honest. Notre Dame is not a great team coming to Louisville. I know that USC has been hanging on by the skin of its teeth, just beat Arizona in triple overtime, and then won by a, a touchdown against Colorado. But Caleb Williams is putting together another Heisman Trophy type of year. He's got 22 touchdowns, one interception. I'm going with USC. I'm going to take Notre Dame because I do not like USC's defense. It's not great. At all. It is horrible. It's not good at all. Uh, Miami traveling to North Carolina, 25th-ranked Miami coming off what the has to be described as the worst, the worst loss by far <laughs> this year and in, in recent memory, not yeah. taking a knee. Uh, they are traveling to unbeaten North Carolina. The 12th-ranked Tar Heels are three-and-a-half-point favorites in that one. I'm going with North Carolina in this one. I do wonder how a decision like that at the end of the Miami game impacts the rest of this season because it is such a boneheaded move that you have to put on the coaching staff. This is a Miami team that should be unbeaten, lost in inexplicable fashion, and I think it's going to be a shadow over them for a little bit. Love me some Drake May, obviously. Also, how do you, how do you, like, what's your message in yeah. the locker room? I messed up. My bad, guys. I, I effed up. Go out and win a game for me on the road? No. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to take North Carolina as well. Uh, UCLA, another Big Ten or a big uh, Pac-12 Pac-12 matchup. Number 18 UCLA traveling to number 15 Oregon State. The Beavers in that one. I'm going to go Oregon State on this one. The Beavers' only loss came in the uh, Pac-12, the Palouse against Washington State on the Palouse. Yeah, but beat Utah, and that's a Utah team that uh, has beaten UCLA this season. Did we figure out what a Palouse is? I Googled it, and now I've forgotten. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take UCLA, one of the better defenses in the country uh, so far. And Ohio State traveling to Purdue. They are 19.5-point favorites. Some, some Ohio State teams have lost to Purdue before. Yeah, last week Ohio State was a 20-point favorite against Maryland, and I felt sure that Maryland was going to figure out how to cover, and it was a push. So <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to go Ohio State on this one. Purdue's just not particularly good, and I think the Buckeyes – they need to get it together here and play with a lot more consistency. This has more to do, I think, with Ohio State's defense, who's uh, much improved from, from last year. Again, now it happened against Maryland, who was killing people offensively. Yeah. I think it's a really good sign. Purdue put up a fight against uh, Iowa last week, but I'm going to go uh, with Ohio State as well on the road. And the, uh, the big one in Madison, Wisconsin welcoming in Iowa. Wisconsin, nine-and-a-half-point favorites. Some people have seen ten. Some people have seen ten-and-a-half. Where are you going with this one? Vegas always knows how to make it a challenge. I The score that I picked this week in the Athletic is Wisconsin 20-10. to 10. Uh, I don't know how confident I feel in that because this is a session type of slog game, but that's where I'm going, and that means Wisconsin covers. I'm feeling like a six type of game here. Yeah. I don't, again, I with Wisconsin winning, so that would be covering nine and a half point spread at all. At all. I, like... The last time they were nine-and-a-half-point favorites, or I should say the last time either of these teams was double-digit favorites was 2017, and Wisconsin ended up winning that game going away. It was it was like 38-14, to 14, and the only thing Iowa scored was on pick-sixes by Josh Jackson, Packers legend Josh Jackson. You know what I feel better about is the over-under. Oh, yes. Take the under, people. The under, yes, because the under in the last few years has been, last year it was 35-and-a-half under. The year before that, 35-and-a-half under the year before that 40 under the last time it went over was 37 and a half that was 2019 that's 37 and a half with jonathan taylor on the field seems a little uh, that that was that was a little shot little shot there i think uh, at wisconsin and iowa this this one makes a lot more sense to me and i i think the under has to hit 
easily, easily for Wisconsin. What is it? And this Iowa. Year? I believe it's 34 and a half. 34 and a half. It might, be, it might be 35. It might be 36. No matter what, I'm taking the under. Yeah. I'm taking the under. So, Wisconsin, uh, if they win this, they are in control of the Big Ten West. They have will have, what, essentially a two-and-a-half game lead on Iowa, essentially a two-and-a-half game lead on Purdue. Minnesota does not play this week, so... Can't feel very good about Minnesota because they blew a 21-point lead against <laughs> Northwestern and just lost by six touchdowns They're, to Michigan. About it, PJ Flex said they needed to draw a line in the sand. Oh my! Where have we heard that before, Zach? <laughs> Can't recall. I, I can recall. I can recall. I'll let everybody know. It was at the halftime of the Illinois game last year. It didn't go very well. We'll see if Wisconsin uh, has a little bit better performance on Saturday than they did last October. It's going to be Wisconsin and Iowa. We'll be back next week. Really appreciate to Temple and Heilprint.